Genesis chapter 2, and look with me at verse 7. Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, how many of you believe what you just read? You believe that? Well, this is the biblical account of the first man. Is that right? And all Christians who have been Bible believers throughout all of history have believed that this is the origin of human life on the earth. Now, look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. And out of the ground of the and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. I'll never forget Mark Trotter preaching on that text. And he's, you know, Abraham, or Abraham, Adam's alone. He needs a wife. And so God says, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a help meet, one that's acceptable for you. I'm going to make one that's, that's just for you. And then the Bible says he makes all these animals. And he brings them to Adam to name. And I remember Mark Trotter saying, Adam, God reaches into the ground and pulls out an aardvark. And he says to Adam, what are you going to call this? And Adam said, I don't know aardvark, anything but help meet. <laughs> and what's interesting is, how many of you saw on the news recently that they have discovered through DNA and their research the first physical union between a human and a Neanderthal? How many of you have seen that? I knew, I knew, have you ever seen Dolph Lundgren? That happened a long time ago. We've all known about that. But it, it, it's interesting that in the news, this is a really big deal. And what's funny is they report it like it's a soap opera. <laughs> you know, this is the first time they had relationships. And while that was going on, Bob was killing someone in the den. It, it's, it's really interesting how fascinating, how fascinated people are with these things that are going on in science. Well, what we're finding very clearly is Neanderthal was just a man. Otherwise, they couldn't have had that kind of relationship. It's, it's very simple. They'll tell you, you have Neanderthal DNA in your body. Well, then a Neanderthal was a man. And how many of you ladies think Neanderthals still exist? Raise your hands. Yes. It's so interesting how just how, when, when someone makes a discovery, they get so excited because they think it's something that will undercut the biblical narrative when we know. We know from Scripture that it took a, a, a woman coming out of the man for there to be a union that would reproduce. Is that right? Now, now we understand that all through history, uh, there have been wicked men who have had relationships that are outside of the biblical model. Now, this is church. We don't need to go any more detailed than that. Every adult in here knows what I'm talking about. But that can't reproduce. Is that right? And so, what we have here is God's model. And look at what it says in verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. So, first surgery, first anesthesia. 
And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, and Mark Trotter said in the Hebrew, Adam said, Hamana, Hamana, Hamana. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked and the man and his wife and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we do have answers and we know uh, foundational things about the world. And that foundation... It gives us guidance for what we should do today. Lord, help us to see this and understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the account. This is the historical account given in the book of Genesis. Now, there's something that we all need to understand. There's probably only 1% or 2% of all the Bible colleges and seminaries in the world that believe that. That's sad, isn't it? Very rare for someone to actually believe that the first 11 or 12 chapters of Genesis are literal history. And, of course, we do. Do you know why we do? Because we are called Christians. Are you saying that if you don't believe in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you can't be a Christian? Well, a Christian is a follower of Christ, and we're supposed to believe what he believed. How many of you think that that's a fair definition? Well, let's see what Jesus Christ believed. Go to Mark chapter 10 and look at verse 6. So this is Jesus Christ speaking. The Bible says, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female after billions and billions of years of natural selection. Okay, let's read again. Let's see what Christ said. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife And they twain shall be one flesh, so then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. All right, now let's let's just be very clear. How many of you think that Jesus Christ believed what had happened in Genesis? All right, so let me ask you again. Is a Christian one who believes what Jesus believed? Would that be a, a part of the definition of a Christian? So if you're going to be a faithful Christian then you have to believe what Jesus believed. Is that fair? And Jesus believed that God created Adam and Eve at the beginning of the creation. Now, there was... It's hard to believe that this verse is under attack. You know, notice, whenever there's a clear statement in Scripture, Christians will attack it. Very interesting. Uh, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So what do the critics have to do? Well, what it really says is, in the beginning God... uh, It says, for whosoever... uh, (laughs) For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. The Bible says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not, but to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Well, that means there's many. Well, if you take only begotten out of John 3.16, then you're, you're changing the truth of the Bible. 
Every time you see a clear statement that's vital doctrine in the Bible, the infidels that we'll deal with later, of course, they're not going to believe it. But a verse like this, the Christians have to attack. So I'll tell you some guys who just recently attacked it. John Ankerberg. How many of you have heard of John Ankerberg? John Ankerberg and Norman Geisler. Anyone heard of Norman Geisler? They say that this is not teaching that Jesus Christ believed in a literal six-day creation. And they say the reason that they can believe that is because in verse 6 it says, but from the beginning of the creation, that that word creation could mean institution. So it's talking about the beginning of the institution of marriage. The only problem is, without an article, that word is never translated as anything but creation. It's interesting. Why do they need to change the Bible? Did you notice what they did? They had to change the Bible. They're willing to change the Bible because their authority is not the Bible. Their authority is science and looking good in the face of scientists. It's very interesting, and we're going to get to some of that. Another another argument that they bring up is that, well, if we're going to take this literally, then Adam and Eve were not created on the first day of creation. So it can't be talking about that. Let's read the verse again. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Does it say from the beginning of the days of creation? No, beginning of the creation. If you look at all the time since creation had happened, Jesus Christ is speaking 4,000 years after the creation took place. If you look at the, the sixth day of creation, that would be the beginning. Jesus is not speaking in a technical chronological sense. He's speaking in a general chronological sense. And it was the beginning. Laura, remember the beginning of our marriage when we lived in Camelot? Well, we didn't live together until after the marriage ceremony. But that's still an accurate statement, but not a technical statement. All right? If you want a good answer for that, this whole argument, uh, Terry Mortensen from the Creation Museum at Answers in Genesis wrote a response to Geisler and Ankerberg. That's just fantastic. It's really important that we understand it's not only the infidels, the pagans that, you know, like Carl Pagan, Carl Pagan. It's not only the pagans that are attacking the Bible, it's Christians. And let me say, Ankerberg and, and Geisler are good guys. They've done a lot of good things for Christianity, but they're both buying into this old earth creationism that requires you to change the words of the Bible. But again, if you're going to be a faithful Christian, then you're going to believe what Christ said. Nathan, do you have it? Watch this. This is Eric Metaxas. He wrote the the really popular book called Bonhoeffer, and he is one of the heads of Prison Fellowship now um, and the Breakpoint radio broadcast. Uh, Chuck Colson died. Eric Metaxas and uh, John Stone Street, I think his name is, took his place. Eric Metaxas is the younger guy. Timothy Keller wrote a book called Reasons for God. He's one of the most popular evangelicals in America right now. They're having a conversation about the Bible, and I want you to see what they say. Now... When it comes to Adam and Eve, creation, evolution, I actually don't think that whole, when we're talking about the whole thing, what is your view of creation and evolution? Do you, are you a young earth creationist, which right. means the earth was not created very long ago. Right. It was created in six 24-hour days. Are you um, an old earth person who still believes it was a literal Adam and Eve, but there could have been ev- evolution in, in, involved? Uh, when, you, when it comes to those things, I would say, no, you're not now in an Apostles' Creed place. 
right. where you've got to believe this. One of the problems, of course, is when you get there today, there are plenty of folks who do see it as an Apostles' right. Creed. Right. Well, I mean, that's kind of my that's, point. That's a big problem yeah. we have. And that is right. there are folks who say, if you're wrong on that, you're wrong on everything. And uh, it's not in the Apostles' Creed. And therefore, it's, it, I do think there's wiggle room. Second thing is, if you want to know my position, and my position is, I'm an old earth cre progressive creationist who believes there really was an Adam and Eve. Got it? A literal Adam and Eve. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the, here, the reason why is, and I, you know, Francis Collins is a good friend of mine. And old he's earth progressive creationist who believes, who believes a in a literal Adam, Adam and Eve. Yeah. Okay, I understand every part of that except progressive creationist. Progressive, progressive creationist means that... Theistic evolution? No, not quite. It basically means... It's usually a little more like... There's more intervention, more God intervention. More like, in, more like but, what the intelligent design guys are saying. Yes. As much as they are sneered at by our friend Francis Collins. Yes, yes they are. Who's, who's wrong? Yes, they are. Well, you know, Fran, I, listen, I, could, I can give you Francis's... I don't know that you want to take all of our time on this, but um, and I'm actually in three... Weeks going to be part of a consultation with Francis and others, uh, but uh, my basic idea is this: if the Bible says something, I believe the Bible says that. So science comes along and seems to contradict the Bible. Now, if the science is there, rather than just sneering at the science, I'm going to say maybe I misread the Bible. Right. But not. Whoops! Looks like the Bible was wrong. Right. I would. Why? Well, here's the why. Because you know, science comes and goes; it changes, and uh, uh, and also there, it's not as objective as it seems. Uh, I'll give you a quick example of this: is that uh, uh, what 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 people who understand the, the human genome will point out is that there is a uh, in lo so-called lower animals, there's a gene that produces vitamin C in you in in, in the in the organism. As a, there's a gene that actually automatically produces vitamin C. When you get up to about monkeys, the gene's there and it doesn't work. And when you get to human beings, the gene is there, but it actually doesn't work. It's there, you can see it, but it doesn't produce vitamin C, so you have to eat citrus or you get scurvy, etc. So the question is, if human beings uh, did not evolve from lower animals, why in the world would God put a gene in there that was in the lower animals but doesn't work. God would never do that. That's what you'd say. I mean, that, this is the argument against the idea. Uh, this, this is an argument in favor of theistic evolution. Correct. So the idea is, okay, if, yeah. right, and they say, well, God would never do that. And as soon as people say that, I say, oh, you're not doing science anymore. You're telling me what God could do or not? Right. God would never create a human being based on a, ge a genome in which there's a, a you know, a, a Oh, a, a gene that doesn't work. God would never do that. How do you know? That's philosophy. That's religion. That's not science. Also, to That's some not... extent, aren't people discounting the fall? In other words, creation as yes. it is, is fallen. So it's a little more complicated than what God created. Exactly right. So all I mean to say is, if the Bible says something, science contradicts it, I'll let the science make me rethink and relook at the Bible. But ultimately, I can't say science trumps the Bible. I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to do is, it, is I'm going to say if the Bible's really J Jesus Christ, this is a John Stott move. It's very clear, John Stott said, that Jesus Christ saw the Bible as completely authoritative. If I want to follow Jesus, I have to have Jesus' view of the Bible. And therefore, 
I've got some places where I say, it looks like science contradicts the Bible. The Bible says this, but I don't, I've re-looked at it and re-looked at it. As far as I know, it teaches this. That's what I'm going to hold. And I'm going to say, I really don't know. Now, I'm not a scientist. So that, you know, the scientists who are Christians have to figure out, well, what does that mean for me? Uh, so in some ways, I can just say, whoops, I don't get it. But my idea... You can say it's above your pay grade. Yes, I can. But see, my, my idea is, it looks to me like Paul in... 1 Corinthians 15 and in Romans 5 is basing his understanding of salvation on there being a real Adam just like there's a real Christ. He talks about in Adam we died, in Christ, you know, uh, and it sure looks like he's not talking about a figurative thing. And so I think when I look at that and I look at Genesis, I can tell there's a real Adam and Eve. But from what I can also tell is the Bible does not teach that the earth is young. Some of you may know, have heard this before, that the, you know the genealogies, and you can go back in the genealogies to Adam, the genealogies are not complete. If you take a look at Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1, then go find the genealogies in First and Second Chronicles, you'll know that Matthew just skips people. Sometimes when it says, so-and-so begat so-and-so, you and, I, you and I think that means so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. No, it means so-and-so begat, means that he could have been the father, the grandfather, the great-grandfather, whatever. The word begat is more uh, general than that. And therefore, you don't know how old the earth is by the genealogies. So I don't think the Bible teaches that the earth was, was uh, created recently. I think the, there's no reason why I can't believe in an old earth. Science certainly indicates the earth is very old. But the Bible doesn't insist that the earth is old, so I follow the science at that point because it doesn't contradict progressive evolutionist who believes in a literal Adam and Eve, that, that's where I would, and, and I don't have a clear position on this either, uh, and I think the brightest people don't have a clear position on this, right. because I think there's too much information all over the place, but is it possible that, uh, that hominids at some point were breathed into, that, that Adam, oh, that one, yeah. what, what do we say See, some that? people would say, some people would say, uh, human beings evolved, God adopted a couple as Adam and Eve. Other people would say, I'm more, looking at what the Bible says, I'd be a little happier in saying human beings, you know, were kind of evolving and God just created Adam and Eve out of nothing and injected them. I don't know. But I, I mean, I'm actually probably mm -hmm. a little happier with the second one. It seems to fit in Genesis 2-7 a little better. But the point, my point being, I do think, if you believe in an old earth, you've got to believe in evolution of some sort. You've got to believe that God did use natural selection in some way. Right. And that, that Adam and Eve, my understanding is God, progressive creationism means that God injects, God intervenes, God does stuff. God directs. God directs. Yeah. Generally, theistic evolution, I don't think I'd use that term for myself, uh, is sort of like God directs very generally, doesn't really intervene. He just sort of, he's, it's almost... It's a little bit like the watchmaker God. Well, it's almost theistic. But some of my best friends are theistic evolution. It's almost like God starts it, and then it just takes off without much in the way of his intervention. I, I'm not real right. satisfied with that. Now you see why this is not an Apostles' Creed issue. Yeah. And why just because really it's not an Apostles' Creed issue doesn't mean... It's, it's, that's the it's fun of it. Is not, to just oh, it's fun, and it's yeah. not unimportant. But I don't think we need to be drawing people out of the faith. Exactly. And I all. heartily agree. And if you don't agree with that, get out. So, um, but... Uh, <laughs> There's a the door. Well, if you don't agree with it, that's okay. You're just not bright. Now, how many of you listening to that felt like you were trying to put 
a fence post in jello. <laughs> it's so interesting. Now, I can't deal with everything that they said. Maybe I will at another time in this, in this, in this hour or two. But the, <laughs> let me say this. Notice what Keller started with, that a literal six-day creation is not an Apostles' Creed thing, so it's not important. And that may be true. It may not be an Apostles' Creed thing, but it is a Bible thing. So notice the difference. Timothy Keller's authority is not the Scripture, it's the Apostles' Creed. How many of you caught that? How many of you caught that? Okay? And this is where... Now, he's a Presbyterian, and and I'm a Baptist. One of the differences is... They are looking at orthodox Christianity. The word orthodox means that they agree with the creeds. I'm a Bible believer. I believe the Bible. And where the creeds agree with the Bible, I agree with the creeds. But my authority is not the creeds. Creeds, in some sense, have been helpful because they put into small bites important doctrine. So I'm not against all of the creeds, but the creeds are not my authority. My authority is the Word of God. And the Bible says that God created the world in six literal days. I want you to think about something. Why do we have a day off? Because God told us to have a day off. But you have to work six indeterminate periods of time before you can have that day. That's right. You have to work millions and millions of years before you get that day off. That's actually in Nathan's contract. We have that. He's just not allowed to have a day off. Do you see what happens? These people, they speak in a way and in a language that it it makes them think that if you have a hard, fast position that God created the earth in six literal days, you're just not very bright. Well, can I tell you something? I probably shouldn't say this. I guarantee you I'm just as smart as Eric Metaxas. I guarantee you I am just... You know why? Because he apparently is not very bright. Now, it's interesting. If I got up and said Eric Metaxas is an idiot, well, that's not loving. That's not kind. But Eric Metaxas just called almost everyone in this room not bright. And that's where they are. I am a progressive evolutionist, I can't remember even all of it that said, progressive creationist who believe an old earth progressive creationist who believes in a literal Adam and Eve. Do you know what that means? He doesn't have any idea what he believes. Do you know why he doesn't have any idea what he believes? He wants to be accepted by smart people. How many of you want to be accepted by Jesus? That's the difference. Now, I'm not saying Timothy Keller doesn't want to be accepted by Jesus, but he is as concerned about what the world says as he is about what Jesus says. We can't do that, man. We cannot do that, okay? Let's, look at some, let's just run some cross-references, and then I'll look at some of these other things with you. Look at, uh, so we are at Mark chapter 10 and verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Is that a statement of fact? Is Jesus Christ making that a statement of fact? Yes. Go to Matthew chapter 19. And verse 4. So this is a parallel passage. Matthew 19 and verse 4. 
And it's recorded a little differently here. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Um, Do you know that there is a movement in Western society to allow people to choose their gender? I was taking, uh, I wanted to see some of the Common Core stuff, so I took a Common Core test. And bef- on, online, and before I could take the Common Core test, I had to fill out some stuff about myself. And where it used to say gender, M or F, it said, how do you identify? Male, female, transgendered, you know, whatever. Isn't that interesting? Do you understand the confusion that that's causing in our culture? You, you, you don't want to give the babies male or female toys. You want them to decide for themselves what they are. This is why we need to get back to a biblical understanding of personhood, a biblical understanding of identity, and a biblical understanding of purpose. That's why a message like this is important. What happens is we're considered Luddites, you know, that we're against technology and and we're just not really very bright because we actually believe that God created the earth. You know, uh, I've got this statement later in my notes, but I'll, I'll make it here. Not everything that a scientist says is scientific. Really important that we get this. Just because a scientist says it doesn't mean it's scientific. And what he just said is when the science says one thing and the Bible says another, what do we have? The logical fallacy of reification. Science doesn't say anything. Scientists do. And so while being smarter than all of us, he is is violating the laws of logic in his very language. Science will never contradict the Bible. Scientists will. Why? Because they have a, a, a presupposition of naturalism. That is, there is no such thing as the metaphysical. There is no such thing as an idea that is higher than what we can test and see. And that's why it's really fun to ask an atheist, what is consciousness? This is fun. Ask a physicist, what is energy? Ask them the question. And here's what they would have said to you. I am not going to believe in something that we can't t- test, that's, that's you know, not verifiable or falsifiable or whatever, and they give you all these words. Well, what about energy? Do you believe in energy? Well, yes. What is it? Well, well, what a kook. Why should I believe anything you say? Because you believe in something that cannot be explained. There is much in the world that's unexplainable. Women. <laughs> and to women... Men. Am I right? Okay. But, but even on a broader level, what is consciousness? How about this? All, all biologists believe in the brain. Now ask them what the mind is. They can't tell you. They can't tell you. Why? Because they don't have the mind of Christ. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. Okay. Now, go with me to Mark chapter 13 and verse 19. Young people, I want you to get this. It's so important. What's going to happen to you when you go to college is you're going to have people, when they can't answer your arguments, 
they try to make you look stupid. There will always people be people who know information that you don't. So, John, explain to me how the Graf-Wellhausen documentary hypothesis influenced modernism in the late 1800s. Now look, he doesn't know that information. Does that make me smarter than him? Absolutely. No, it, it doesn't. That doesn't make me smarter than him. I just happen to know something that he doesn't. What does that have to do with creation? Nothing. Nothing. Because a person understands, or understands I think would be a wrong word, because a person can define the current understanding of the law of gravity, doesn't mean that he understands gravity. It's really important that we get this. And they certainly, certainly don't know where gravity came from. The existence of something does not explain its origin. And so because someone can throw information at you and use bigger words than you know does not mean they're right. And what people always do when they can't answer a question, when they can't deal with the facts, when they can't deal with the truth, what they do is they try and marginalize you. Oh, you believe that? You're a kook. Uh, Stephen Hawking said that religion is a fairy tale or a fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. Religion is a fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. And John Lennox responded to him, Atheism is a fairy story for people who are afraid of the light. And then he went on to say this, because it was to a group of Christians and they all applauded and they loved that. How many of you like that? That's cool, isn't it? And he said, that's great, but neither one of those statements prove anything. They don't prove anything. So the issue that we have to understand is that what they will always try to do is they'll make a statement like this. I am a man of science. You're a man of faith. Well, I drove here in a car. That's a false dichotomy because what we have to understand is all science is based on faith. There are certain assumptions that are believed. Everything is based on faith. So that's a false dichotomy. All right, now let's go back to what Jesus said. Look at, um, did we read the Mark 13 passage yet? Mark 13, 19. In those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. Now I want you to think about something. Jesus Christ is saying that there's a tribulation period coming that's going to be unlike anything that's happened since the creation of the world. All right, but now look at what he says. Verse 20, And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. Now, here's what happens in the tribulation period. A third of the sun, third of the moon, third of the stars are gone. Do you know what the result of that is? A shorter day. How many of you recognize that's what would happen? A shorter day. A shorter period of time than 24 hours. He's tying that to the creation. Six, literal, 24-hour days. Look at, um, let's just go to Luke, and then I, I want to move to some of this other information. Luke chapter 50. 
I'm sorry, Luke chapter 11. Good luck trying to find Luke chapter 50. That's in Patrick Kennedy's Bible. Look at verse 48, Luke 11, verse 48. Truly, ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and ye build their sepulchers. Therefore also, said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. So what is Jesus Christ saying? At the beginning, at the foundation of the world, Abel was killed. And what he's... Now, can I ask you a question? Would Jesus require on a group of people a punishment for something that was really only a myth and didn't happen? You husbands understand this all the time. Right? Honey, what did I do? Laura Petrie, you know. If you don't know, I'm not going to... I don't have any idea what I... You're still in trouble for it. I saw a t-shirt. It said, said, uh, I didn't say it was your fault. I said I was going to blame you. (laughs) No, God doesn't operate that way. God doesn't operate that way. Jesus believed in a literal Abel and a literal Cain who killed him. So we as Christians, as a Christian, what should our response to that be? To simply believe Jesus. Now, do you have to give up your mind to believe Jesus? No, you recognize that his mind is greater than mine. It's just true. And science does not contradict the Bible scientists do. So now, let's look at some of the things that are going on. Um, Stephen Hawking said, cosmology is a religion for intelligent atheists. Cosmology is a religion for intelligent atheists. Then it should not be allowed to be taught in a state school. How about that? How about that? Modern cosmology for the atheistic scientist provides a kind of metaphysical alternative to God. And I'll explain that. The multiverse becomes the city of refuge for the atheists. Now, for all of you Marvel fans or whatever, the multiverse and the comic books, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? But here's, here's what they are, the, the, the physicists are saying. They've come to realize, and what's so funny is, Eric Metaxas and Timothy Keller that we just looked at, all of the evidence that they're saying science has given us, Nobody believes it anymore. There's there's not a genuine physicist or scientist in the world that believes what Timothy Keller and Eric Metaxas just said. I mean, there might be high school biologists or even some college professors, but genuine researchers understand that that the idea of natural selection, it can't happen. It can't happen. That's the whole idea of of, uh, Stephen Hawking's latest book, The Great Design. He believes that that the world came into into existence very quickly. Why? Why? Because it couldn't have happened the way it's been said for centuries. They understand that now. And it's so, they're, so, they're trying to be so smart, but they can't keep up with the smart people. It's mind-boggling. So what is this multiverse thing? Because we understand that, first of all, there are no positive 
mutations that are reproducible. Okay? Because they know that now, what they're saying is, and, and then when they look at you know, the anthropic principle that was Carl Sagan and others, they, they, they started with, I think, 13 or 16 things that they said every planet. Now they've come with like 300 things that, that a, a universe or a solar system would have to possess in order to be able to support life. And then they figured there must be many of those out there, and the problem is there aren't any. So the only thing that they can come up with is this multiverse theory, and that is there is an unlimited number of universes in the world, but you can't cross them. So you can't actually look at these other universes. But there are an unlimited number of them, and if there are an infinite number of these universes, now the possibility of ours being able to support life is much greater. How's that for faith? Here's some answers to the multiverse situation. The first thing is, it is the greatest violation of the principle of Occam's razor that you could ever possibly have. What's the principle of Occam's razor? That the simplest solution is the best. In any problem, the simplest explanation is the best. Obviously, to just say, well, I know it couldn't happen here, so there must be many more than here. When there's absolutely no evidence for it, none. There is no evidence for it. So that's, that's a problem. Um, but let me go back to the Stephen Hawking thing. Um, Hawking said this in his book, The Grand Design. I'm going to get back to the multiverse thing in a minute. He said, because there is a law of gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Let me read that again. This is supposed to be one of the most brilliant people in the world. Because there is a law of gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. I want to give you John Lennox's answer to that. He said, because there is something, gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. That's a clear contradiction. Because there's something, it can create itself from nothing. That's a completely ridiculous statement. He said this to explain it. X creates Y. If you have X, you get Y. If I said X creates X, if you have X, you'll get X. What does it mean? It means nonsense remains nonsense even if scientists are writing it. <laughs> it's complete idiocy. Because something exists, everything must have come from it. It's, it's a completely ridiculous statement. That's Stephen Hawking in The Grand Design. And, and understand that Stephen Hawking is undermining the faith of a lot of Christians, Christian young people. Why? Why? Because the cult of celebrity, the faulty appeal to authority. I want you, you young people to understand something. Stephen Hawking understands less about origins than a seventh grade Christian. Let me say it again. Stephen Hawking understands less about origins than a seventh grade Christian. Why? Because we know what happened. Okay? Now, how many of you have heard of the Higgs boson? The Higgs boson. I know some of you are bored to tears right now. This is for the others, all right? <laughs> this is stuff that needs, that needs to be discussed. You young people, you're gonna, they're going to bring this stuff up to you. What about the Higgs boson? In the 1960s, there was this guy named Peter Higgs, and he had this theory that, and understand, they, they can't, they, they've not been able to tell us how an atom stays together. You used to have protons and neutrons. Now you have neutrinos and all this other quarks and all this. But what they used to say is we don't know how these protons and neutrons 
uh, and electrons stay together in an atom. And what he posited was that there was this invisible substance that when these, these particles go through them, uh, through it, it slows them down and wraps around them and holds them together, but you can't see it. And when you try to measure it, it goes away. Well, in 2012 at CERN, they were through, through different teams, they discovered this particle. And how many of you remember in the news the discovery of the God particle? Now, of course, the atheists don't like that term, the God particle. And let me read to you what um, one of them said about it. This is Lawrence Krauss. He wrote this in Newsweek in July of 2012. If these bold, some would say arrogant... No, no, so here's what happened. They say they found the, what they believe is the Higgs boson, this material that holds the things together. All right? If these bold, some would say arrogant notions derive support from the remarkable, result, remarkable results at the Large Hadron Collider, that's at CERN, they may reinforce two potentially uncomfortable possibilities. First, that many features of our universe, including our existence, may be accidental consequences of conditions associated with the universe's birth. All right, so they found this material that's in between and holding together these particles. And that's, that could be evidence that the universe was created accidentally. How many of you think there's a little bit of a leap there? <laughs> Second, that creating stuff from no stuff seems to be no problem at all. Everything we see could have emerged as a purposeless quantum burp in space or perhaps a quantum burp of space itself. So you are just flatulence. <laughs> I guarantee you that's never been said in a pulpit in the history of Christianity. <laughs> We've made history here today, folks. Humans, with their remarkable tools and their remarkable brains, may have just taken a giant step forward replacing metaphysical speculation with empirically verifiable knowledge. The Higgs particle now arguably... The Higgs particle is now arguably more relevant than God. And so the question to Lawrence Krauss would be, for what? The existence of this substance, whatever you would call it, the Higgs boson, and they don't even know that that's what it is, but let's say that it is, says nothing about origins. And it certainly says nothing about purpose. Um, if I said to you, why does my tea kettle boil? Well, you would say, well, it's a matter of temperature and molecules and the way that the water reacts to the heat. No, 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 no. I want a cup of tea. You see, there's a big difference between mechanism and purpose. Mechanism and purpose. Here's what John Lennox said about this article by Krauss. Furthermore, dismissing God by pejoratively describing his activity as supernatural shenanigans is not perhaps the wisest approach for someone who appears to think, if I don't misunderstand him, that the Higgs field is a nothing out of which the universe, self-contradictorily, creates itself by means of a purposeless quantum burp. Natural shenanigans? 
He said that Christians believe in supernatural shenanigans. But this guy believes that everything came out of nothing by itself. Lennox goes on. Also, such reductionist analysis provides no more clue to the meaning of it all than an analysis in terms of particles of paint. This is so good. Than an analysis in terms of particles of paint. So you're going to analyze particles of paint. Would help us understand the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. To say nothing of the absurd idea that the paint particles created the painting in the first place. Analysis of particles of paint may help you create a new paint, but not a new painting. Is that awesome? Now, what about the, the multiverse? <laughs> Look at John chapter 18. This is so funny. <laughs> Remember that scientists forever, they were trying to tell us that the, that the universe had no beginning. Remember? Then they were able to realize, well, it actually did. And so in the 1960s, they came up with the idea that, well, it, it is finite. It's not infinite. Well, we could have told them that. Isn't it interesting? All these discoveries that move toward God. Now, look at uh, John chapter 18 and verse 36. And I want you to think about something. Once you find it, look up here. I want you to think about something with me. The answer of a Stephen Hawking and others to the irreducible complexity of our universe. All right? We understand that it couldn't have just happened. Their answer is the multiverse by, by saying that there's this multitude of universes that now the possibility of this happening is greater. Well, then they bring that to Christians and they say, see, what are you going to do with that? Look at verse 33. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. You understand a multiverse is no problem for an omnipotent God. God can create as many worlds as he chooses to. And right here he says, hey, you have this world. You have rulership in this world. My kingdom's not of this world. You see... It doesn't matter what science comes up with. The Bible is not confounded at all by any of it. Now, I want you to think about something. If you're walking down the beach and you see your name written there, Denver Smith, you know immediately that there is some intelligence behind the writing of that name. Is that fair? It, it didn't just happen. I don't think there's anybody in the world that would think that that could just happen. And yet, the longest word in the history of the world is the human DNA. Something like 3.5 billion letters in a four-letter alphabet. And the scientists say it just happened. 
And isn't it interesting that the foundational element of human existence, the, funda the, the fundamental element of human existence, the DNA, is one long word. And the Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We are created in his image and his likeness. And we are a word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The Bible says all things were created by him and for him and by him they consist. And then the Bible says this, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Science tries to undermine scripture and the Bible's always thousands of years ahead of them. You can trust it. Young people, you can trust it. The Bible is true. And so if the Bible is true about these ideas in physics, the, the, think about this. The greatest minds in the world that hate God are coming up. They, they do nothing with their time but try to come up with ideas to confute God, and they've already been in the Bible. That's awesome. And you know what else I know? If the God who created the world says there was an Adam and Eve, male and female created he them, and he gave the woman to the man, and he said, you're going to leave father and mother, and you're going to be one flesh. Do you know what I believe? That God created a man, God created a woman, and he put them together. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. If you want to have a good marriage, do you know what you need to do? You need to believe what God has to say about marriage. And the foundation of it goes all the way back to creation. Engage creation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word.